All right, well, while they're uh, collecting offering, um, brings to mind uh, the fire department. Um, I don't know if you all know, but I am the chaplain for the Hasbrook Heights Fire Department. Um, and I want to invite you on May 20th, 7 p.m., to come to the firehouse. They're going to do their annual inspection. I'll do an invocation. But I think it would be great, We, you know, if you live in Heights, or actually if you don't live in Heights, if you live in a town nearby and you had a real emergency, Heights is going to come help you, um, without a doubt. So I would ask you to come May 20th, 7 p.m., up at the firehouse, right up the road there, and show your support for uh, the Hasbrook Heights Fire Department. Um, and you bring your kids, they climb on the trucks and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's actually really cool. Well, we're going to finish up our series in 1 John, uh, really a series within the Christian disciplines. We've learned that um, John has declared that which they have touched, seen, and heard that he's declared. He's telling us that this is nothing made up, this is nothing fake, this is real, that Jesus is real, that Jesus has come in the flesh, that the true person, the true believer, believes that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. To deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is to be anti-Christ. John, throughout the book, keeps emphasizing the fact that you can know. No, 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 you can know. The word gnosis, certain knowledge. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that what is in this book is real, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he has come and done what he has promised to do. What did he promise to do? To be a propitiation, a covering over for the sins of mankind. We're finished out today in chapter 5. The title is, That You May Know. John leaves off, again, with the fact that you can have certain knowledge. You cannot doubt. So I would ask you to stand once again as we pray. We'll read from God's word and we'll hear from God. Father, we thank you again for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who is not far off, but you're a God who is near. We thank you that you're a God who is able to be known And in some measure, a God who is able to be understood. We thank you that you've made yourself known to us. That Jesus Christ was manifest in the flesh. And that he was laid in the grave in corruption and raised in glory for us. And so, Father, we ask that you would be with us as we finish out this book in your word. I pray, Lord, that no person here in any way would doubt that they truly know the living God. We ask it for the glory of Christ. Amen. 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. 
If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he, was bo- that he has born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe has made him a liar, because, God, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To the one who commits sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding, so that we might know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We'll see three things today. Conquering, certifying, and confirming. Conquering. There are three distinguishing distinguishing marks of a true believer in Christ Jesus that makes them a conqueror over the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three are love, obedience, and faith. Love, obedience, and faith. John says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. The question is, what does it mean to be born of God? John tells us, believe that Jesus is the Christ. This is far more than intellectual assent. Believing that there was a historical figure named Jesus, there was. History has proven it. It's it's beyond dispute that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who lived. The question is whether he is God or not. He is God. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? More than just a good moral teacher, that he himself is God. He says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been Born of God. It's the word Christ, Christos. It means anointed. It means Messiah. What does John mean by calling him the Christ? What does it mean to say that Jesus is the Christ? It means that Jesus alone is anointed by God to be the propitiation for men's sins. Jesus alone is the hope of salvation, is the hope of heaven. Jesus alone is the source of salvation. No one else can save you other than Jesus. Jesus states this in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, 
Jesus states to us why he has been anointed. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge, this anointing, I have received from my Father. He is anointed because he is the only hope of salvation. As Peter says in Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which they must be saved. There is absolutely no one else who can save your soul from eternal destruction in hell other than Jesus Christ. It is not Muhammad. It is not uh, Vishnu. It's not anybody else. They're, they're not even real gods. It is Christ and Christ alone. Church, do you believe that? Amen. amen. I thank you that you said amen. This, John says, is what makes a person born of God that they believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus himself says in John 1.12, or John himself writes about Jesus, but to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believed in his name, again, more than mere intellectual assent, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, if becoming a child of God is based on belief in the fact that Jesus is the Christ, then it is equally true that to deny that Jesus is the Christ, the only hope of heaven, it is to be against Jesus. Remember what John said in 1 John 2, 2, in an earlier sermon, who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. The person who believes that Jesus, who truly believes that Jesus is the Christ, will love those who also believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's what John says next. If you truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you love the Father and you love the Son, then you will love the people of God's church. Look at what he says again. Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. It is love for fellow believers that John says that proves we have passed from, life, from death to life. From death to life. You believe you're dead? You know people? You know that there are walking dead? People are dead in their sins and their trespasses. And until they are made alive by the grace of God, by the love of God being shown abroad in their hearts, they are dead men and women walking. They are alive physically, but they are dead spiritually. John says this in 1 John 3, For we know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's pretty strong language. I'm not a murderer. Murder, in scriptural terms, is willful killing. It is killing out of hatred. John doesn't actually mean actual murder. He's talking about willful disregard for a fellow believer. Willful disregard for a fellow believer, or for anybody in need. 
Remember, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And it was the religious leaders who had willful disregard for the person in need. The love of God was not in them. Loving God's children is proof that a person has passed from death to life. Because a true believer in Jesus Christ will love the things that God loves and will hate the things that God hates. It's just that simple. The true child of God is an obedient child of God. And obedience is the second element of somebody who is a conqueror. Obedience. Look what he says in verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Again, John uses the word know. We can be certain that our love for God and His children is authentic when we obey God's commands. Obedience is paramount to God. He delights in more in obedience than countless sacrifices. Listen to what David Allen says in his commentary. It's very convicting, especially the first line. To obey God is better than preaching about God. To obey God is better than singing about obeying God. To obey God is better than having a Bible study lesson taught about obeying God. To obey God is better than bringing a tithe to the church. To obey God is to do what God says. Trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Our love for God is shown by our obedience. Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, you will obey me. John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And how will God respond to the one who keeps the commands of God? And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What a great promise. I mean, who wins there? We do. You think God gains anything by you becoming his child? He gains a child, yes, but we add nothing to God. He's the one who adds to us. He's the one who pours out his blessings upon us. Listen to what John says about loving fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For this is the love of God. This is how we love God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Burdensome, it's the word baris. It means weighty or heavy. And John directly ties the commandment of God to loving fellow brothers and sisters. This, John says, is not burdensome. And I have to admit, I sat back in my office chair and studying this, and I had a conversation over coffee with Jesus in my mind. We both had iced caramel lattes. 
And I'm talking to Jesus, and I'm thanking him for all that he's done for me. But actually, I should say, I'm picturing you talking to Jesus. Thanking him for all that he's done for me, and say, you know, and we're in 1 John. And you say that your command is not burdensome. And it's, the command is that we love our fellow brothers and sisters. But Jesus, I just have to ask, have you ever met Pastor Eric? Why did Lauren laugh first? But you know what I'm saying. I could be saying that conversation with Jesus and just putting your name there. How easy it is for us to not love one another. Well, so I don't hate them, but I'm not moving towards anybody. I'm not making progress towards. Well, the conversation went like this. But have you ever met Pastor Eric Jesus? Jesus, this is a gentleman as he is, reminds you that, well, I know everything. Matter of fact, I knit him together in his mother's womb. I know things about him that you don't know. And then Jesus in his graciousness says, and I know you. And I know everything you've done. I knit you together in your mother's womb. So what's burdensome about this? Why is it hard for you? Would you like me to use the same criteria for you? Of which we would naturally what? Absolutely, Jesus. We would say to Jesus, you know what, forget I even brought it up. Because you're right. And I'm wrong, as is always the case. Jesus is always right. We cannot be God's counselor. We cannot make excuses for God. If the people of God cannot love the people of God, what hope do we have as the people of God? We have none. It says the command to love one another is not burdensome. It's not burdensome if I really love somebody, then doing things for them is not really a burden. How many of us struggle to do things for our children? I do things for my kids. My wife and I do things for our kids because we love our kids. And we'll sacrifice our own selves, our own money, our own time for our children. It's not a burden if you love somebody. God says to love one another is not burdensome. And it's not burdensome because God has given us His Holy Spirit to empower us and strengthen us, to help change our hearts and our minds. Now, our heart might not change right away, but if I act in love, the heart will follow. The third and final element of being a conqueror, is that of faith. That's what it says in verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Victory. Many of you wear victory on your feet. 
It's the word Nike in Greek. It's Nike. means victory. But he says, who is the victory that has overcome the world? He actually uses the word victory twice. Victory, Nike, and overcome. Nikao, to be victorious. What is it that overcomes? It's our faith. It's not a shout it out, name it, and claim it faith that overcomes. It's a sure, steadfast, tangible belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God faith that sustains me. So when we see the world going crazy, do you see the world going crazy? Because it is going crazy. It's completely off the rails. On, on every issue, there's not a single issue that's normal within this world anymore, at least it seems. From sexuality to this to that to everything, you name it, it is completely messed up. And it seems that reason is completely gone. Well, because it is. But not for the child of God. Because they have come to know and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that is the only grounding thing that you and I have in this entire world. It is what overcomes the world. We are not going to be overcome by the world, by the world system, by the spirit of Antichrist, as John said earlier, if we hold fast to what we know. If we stand firm in the truth of God's word and who Jesus is and his purpose in the world, you will not fall victim to the world. You will overcome the world. The Bible says it right there. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Will we have trouble in the world? Absolutely we will have trouble in the world. All kinds of troubles come. We just had troubles here with the fire alarm, right? That's a trouble. Some of you are going through real troubles. Cancer, sickness, all kinds of things are happening. Financial things, this and that. You name it. There's all kinds of troubles in the world. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples. John 16, 33, which he also says to us. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. You hear that? That's God's goodness, because we could have been standing out in that. And it still would have been God's goodness if we were standing out in it, by the way. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We must remember that when the Bible speaks of the world, it's the world system. It's the ideas of the world. Do you and I really believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you really love God and His children? If so, what is it that certifies that for us? What is it that certifies our faith? What tangible evidences are you able to point to that certify your faith? And that's our next point, certify. John says there's three things that certify our faith. Look at what he says in verses 6 to 8. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. There's another definitive statement by John. You want to know who the Holy Spirit is? He's truth. 
Plain and simple. He's true. He can't speak anything false. He doesn't lead you into anything false. The Holy Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Three testifiers or three certifiers to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. The water. What is the water? What's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism. Water is Jesus' baptism. In Matthew 3, 16 to 17, we read this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God certified, anointed Christ at his baptism, really before the foundation of the world, but in time and space at his baptism. What is the blood? Well, it's nothing more than the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. The shed blood of Jesus on the cross. As Hebrews 9.12 tells us, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And the Spirit, of course, as I just said, the Holy Spirit who is the truth. Jesus says, but when the Helper comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. He will also, Jesus said, guide us into all truth. God's truth, the fact that God exists, is evident in creation. But for the believer, the child of God, It's evident inside of us. It's evident in our spirit. We know this is true. Can I explain it maybe? Uh, Yes, I can explain it to you, but you don't get it unless God lets you get it. God's spirit within us testifies with his spirit, John said earlier, that we are children of God. Do you know, does your spirit testify that you are a child of God? You have that confidence. Are you certain about it? It is only the testimony of God, the certifying of God, that actually matters. Look at what John says in verses 9 to 10. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that He is born concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony, verses 11 and 12, that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. It's something that we know inside of us. It is something that is to be so real and so sure to us that absolutely nothing would dissuade us from recanting it. Not the evils of men, of what they could do to us. They can't drag, they can't cause you, if you're truly a child of God, truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You will never recant that. You will take whatever the world would, ha- would, would 
give to you or do to you because you're so convinced of this truth. That's what it means to be certified. It makes no sense that 12 men, 12 men, and 12 just plain, ordinary, screwed up men, took this testimony. It was so certain and sure to them that they gave their lives for it. Countless others have given their lives for it. Just go to your history books and look. Look at the, look at the Church of England and see what they did to somebody. This, oh, no, they burned them at the stake. I believe they just killed 35 Christians in Nigeria last week. They weren't going to recant because they know this is true. Do you know this is true? How true is it to you? True enough that you give your life for it? It is the confirming that rounds us out. What he says in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. No wiggle room here with John. That you may know that you have eternal life. I would ask you again, and I will continue to ask you, do you know that you have eternal life? Are you absolutely certain about what will happen to you the second that you pass from this earth? You know exactly what's going to happen to you. I will tell you, you're going to stand in front of Jesus. And he's going to either tell you, well done, or essentially he's going to tell you, go to hell. Depart from me. I do not know who you are. And you will willingly flee from the presence of Christ because to be in hell would be far better than stand in front of the holiness of God in an unregenerate state. What's going to happen to you? Where do you stand before the living God of whom we must all give an account? Our lives stand naked and bare before Him, the Scripture says. He knows everything. And the fact that He knows everything and says, I love you. I died for you. I want a relationship with you. And for us to say, eh, not interested. How could we? How could we? John writes that these things that you may know that you have eternal life. How do you know? How do you have eternal life? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You don't need to stand up and do some prayer. And if you want to, I'll gladly do that with you. It's just believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel call is always believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. John says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Salvation through Christ is always confident, but it's not arrogant. It's confident in the one who is the propitiation for our sins. This confidence is for all Christians. It's for the entire Christian life, not just salvation. You know, you can have confidence in being a Christian, and it's not just for salvation, but it's for this entire Christian life. While we have breath in our lungs, we can have confidence in our God. Confidence in salvation would be more than enough. As the old song says, it would have been enough, but he gave me this. It would have been enough, but he gave me this. It is confidence in our relationship with God on all levels. Look at what John says in verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. 
that if we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. All right, here's the golden ticket, isn't it? God says right here, if I have confidence towards God and I ask him, he's going to give me whatever I want. Lord, I want the lottery winning numbers. That's not what he's saying. Of course not. Again, David Allen, his commentary says this, prayer is not trying to get what you want, but what God wants for us. Prayer, rightly considered, is not a device of imploring the sources of God to fulfill our desires, but a means by which our desires may be redirected according to the mind of God and made into the, and made into the channels for His will. I can have confidence in asking God because I'm a child of God, because I want to be an obedient child of God. God, help me do your will. The confident prayer of the true child of God is this, your will be done. Matthew 6, 10, the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is the will of God? That's the, that's the question, isn't it? What's God's will for my life? Well, there's plenty of places in Scripture where God says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You be thankful. First, you be saved, and you be thankful, right? And you love one another. But what is the will of God for your life? Well, I don't know all that. But I'm going to tell you there's four things that God has given us, four things that God has given us to have confidence to ask Him. First, He's given us the ability to discern. We're not going to spend in depth in these. I'm just telling you to discern. That is to search things out. He's given us the Holy Scriptures. He's given us His Holy Spirit. And once we believe that God is leading us, then we have to have the willingness to do what God has called us to do. Those things work together. But in our text for today, John directly ties the confidence of asking God to the interceding on behalf of a fellow believer who is in a state of sin. I can have confidence. My brother or sister has gone astray. They're off in sin. That I can have confidence before God to pray on behalf of that brother and sister. That's what Scripture tells me. Look at what he says in verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin or sister, committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. And so what do we do here? Here's where we can easily get lost in the weeds. Say, oh, I got to know, what is the sin that leads to death? Scripture doesn't tell us. Is it the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Probably, but right here, John doesn't tell us. We don't know what the sin that leads to death is. Apparently, John's readers were aware of the sin that leads to death. We don't. And when we can't fully interpret what Scripture means in something, it's best to try not to interpret it. How about just go with verse 17? He says, all sin is wrong. All wrongdoing is sin. It's just sin. If it's a sin that leads to death, eternal death, or maybe it's physical death, we don't know. 
I mean, the Bible does indicate that, that those who take communion in an unworthy manner in, Corinth, in the church in Corinth, God killed off early because of the way they did it. There was a sin that led to an early death. I don't know. Let's not get lost in the weeds in it. The point is not to figure out what the sin that leads to death is. The point is to pray with confidence for a fellow brother or sister who is in a state of sin. That's the whole point of it. Pray for them that God will grant them repentance and they will come out of it. Have confidence that they will. Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, writes this. Brothers, in Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Pray with confidence for yourself not to be let off into sin, for fellow brothers and sisters that they will not be let off the sin. If they are in sin, that God would bring them out of it. Because God... It is God's will to not allow a true believer, a fellow brother and sister, to be so overcome by sin that they're lost to eternity. Do you understand what I said? Did I say it correctly? It is God's will that no believer, true believer in Jesus Christ, would be so overcome by sin that they would uh, uh, be destroyed in hell forever. It is not God's will. It is God's will when he saves somebody that he saves them to the uttermost. That's what John tells us next. Our confidence in praying is because God's will is that brothers and sisters, his children, will not be lost. All who, all who I call, Jesus says, will come to me. That is a non-negotiable for God. Verses 18 and 19. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects them. And that is Jesus. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole point of Jesus coming into this world is to protect his children from eternal destruction. To believe that a child of God can go, a true child of God can go off into eternal destruction is to treat as an unholy thing the blood of the cross. It is to trample on it, as Hebrews would say. That's not the case. Jesus has come that he would save his children. And those whom he saves are his delight, as we sing. And he will never lose delight in them. They will, he will see you through to the end. This is the confidence that we have as believers. That's why I can take the torture of this world. I'm not going to say I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not going to try to find it either. But you can handle it because it's light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory of seeing Christ Jesus. He says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Loved ones, we must remember this truth. The evil one, that is Satan, has power over this world. No question about it. Just look at the world. There can't can't be a good and loving God. Or it might not seem like a good and loving God is running the world. But we must remember this truth. That the evil one has power over this world. Scripture just tells us that. So we can't argue with it. 
But we need to remember that the power that he has has been granted to him by God, and that power is controlled by God. He's not going to overstep one boundary that God has set. If you don't believe me, go to the story of Job. It's the same thing. He's going to go as far as God says he can. Do not believe that Satan and Jesus are equals and fighting for power. Jesus is supreme over Satan. Jesus created Satan. Now, did Jesus create evil? No, he created Lucifer, the chief worship angel. He fell of his own free will. He is under the dominion of Jesus Christ. He will only do what Jesus said. Remember the man that had multiple demons, and they ran to Jesus. And what did they say? We often overlook it. Are you here to destroy us before the appointed time? They knew what their end was. And they're going to look to take as many people with them. Brothers and sisters, do not fall for the victims, for, for the lies and the mindset of the evil one. The evil one himself will be destroyed at the return of Jesus Christ. And the ones who are under his power will be destroyed with him. The one protected by God will be transformed and meet the Lord in the air. This is certain and this is true for the children of God. We are given understanding in the things of God. That's why we need to be students of words. That's what he says. He has given us this understanding. Look at what he says in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. When you look at the world today, you say, man, there's no hope. Exactly, there is no hope. There's no hope for the world. But there's hope for the child of God. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, the Spirit, and we know Him, we are in Him who is true, which is Jesus, in His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the true God and eternal life. John says, you can know. Loved ones, do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Do Eric, do you know? I can say, yes, I know. But what proves that I know? What in me displays the love of God? An awful lot does not. Pray for me, and I'll pray for you. John, after writing a letter that encourages readers to know how much God loves them and to know and to stand firm in this truth, to know, to know, to know, he ends his letter in what may seem a very short, even terse, admonition against idolatry. He ends his letter, little children, verse 21, keep yourselves from idols. It's like all of a sudden, well, how do we get here? Think about it, it makes a whole lot of sense. He let them know that they have certain knowledge about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that they are eternally secure in Him. Why this end? Well, the word is the, the key is really in the word keep. Right? Follow, follow, follow. What do you follow, Mr. Roach? Follow the verbs. Follow the verbs. Keep. The word keep, philasso, to guard or to watch over. Guard yourselves from idols. 
Guard yourself against anything which would distract you from the race of which God has placed you in. Guard yourself from the wiles of the evil one. Guard yourself from the false teaching that this world will tell you to believe in. Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we did this Wednesday night in a Bible study. We have all those who have gone before us. All the greats of Scripture have gone before us. And it is that they were standing around watching. Are they really watching? Absolutely not. They're looking at Jesus. They could care less that we're doing. Jesus is watching us. That's what matters. But as it were, they're in the, they're in the stands. And we're running the race. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 11 would tell us, and some of them suffered horribly. He says, so also let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The sins and the weights. Well, we're pretty good at knowing what sin is. What's a weight? A weight is exactly what we learned in Sunday school this morning. It's not necessarily bad, but is it beneficial? Is it really going to help you in the long run? Well, if it's not, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Cast it off. It's only going to slow you down. I'm not a runner by any stretch of the imagination. My blood pressure is so low that they asked me one time, do you run marathons? And I said, do I look like I run marathons? (laughs) But I know this about a runner. They don't carry weights when they run in a race. They want to be as light as possible because they don't want anything to hinder them. Let us lay aside every sin and weight. What are the sins and the weights that are weighing you down? What are the sins and the weights that are weighing me down? Let us run with endurance that is set before us. The race that is set before us. God has set before you and me, His children, a race. He's given us a purpose. Men, come out Saturday morning. Created for more. You were created for more, men. So were you, ladies. I'm not cutting you out, but I'm talking about men's Bible study. Run the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. Who's at the finish line? It's Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. So what does John mean by this? Beloved, keep yourselves from the love of idols. He's saying if you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you really believe that Jesus is the only hope of salvation, then accept no substitutes for Jesus. That's what John means. Accept no substitutes for Jesus. It made me think of that song I used to sing back in the day, and maybe we still sing it every once in a while. I don't know if we've heard it. When we all get to heaven. When we all get to heaven. Let me read it for you quickly, and we'll close with this. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing His mercy and His grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, He'll prepare, he'll prepare for us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. Let us then be true and faithful 
trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will the toils of life repay. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Onward to the prize before us, soon His beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open, we shall tread the streets of gold. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Loved ones, do you know that you will shout the victory? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for absolute certain knowledge that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. Given to us in the Holy Spirit, testifying, certifying that the word of God is true empowering us to obey the Word of God. Thank you for the Scriptures. Father, I would pray if there's any here today who are not sure, who have the slightest bit of doubt that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give them true assurance of faith. I pray that none would leave here. If any have questions, that they would come and ask. And we would gladly share to them what we've come to know that Jesus Christ is life, that Jesus Christ is salvation. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for watching over us this day. Be with us. Be with us till we come together again, whether this evening to hear your word or next week. We ask it for the glory of God. Amen and amen. Stand, let's close in a song. Let's close in doxology to our God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.